G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. What would it be like if you knew the score of every game before you watched it? Hi, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today, Jeff's message is The Lamb and the Scroll. Continuing the series on the book of Revelation, Pastor Jeff takes us through chapter 5, John's visions of God's scroll and the Lamb, the only being worthy to open it and reveal the future of human history. When this arm comes out of the throne, John would have known what this is. This is God's last will and testament. You say, wait a minute, God doesn't die to leave his inheritance to anybody. This is Today with Jeff Vines and the Lamb and the Scroll. Turn over, if you would, to Revelation chapter 5. And while you're turning to Revelation 5, I, I, uh, I just want to say, I, I'm, I'm in heaven right now. Would anybody like to guess why? Not the real heaven, as you know. Uh, it's March Madness, man. This is it's my, it's like my favorite time of year. I mean, for, for 11 months, I basically do what I'm told at home. But for March, it's my wife and I have an agreement, man. I am on the couch watching basketball. She doesn't complain. She just knows that's who I am. It's March Madness, man. It starts with an M for man. It is March Madness. And it's not called March Sanity. It's called March Insanity, right? It's the time that we do crazy things. People do crazy things during March Madness, man. They really do. They, they load up on anxiety pills. They, uh, uh, you know, they, they don't pay attention to the wife or the kids or the dog or anything else. Uh, they do crazy things and their team loses and their bracket gets busted and it's like, man, why go on living? And so some, gr- some, some weird things happen. As a matter of fact, my friend Tony Bennett, who just lost, by the way, about five minutes ago to Michigan State, just devastating. But before the, <laughs> before the game, uh, he texts me, or this was actually before he played Belmont in the first round, he texts me and said, hey, would you, would you pray for peace and wisdom? Now, he knows not to ask me to pray for victory. He knows I wouldn't do that. And he, God doesn't get involved in who wins or lose most of the time. And so <laughs> I, uh, I, I looked at that and I said, sure, I'll, I'll pray for peace and wisdom. And then I thought about that as I was watching him play Belmont and I was standing up yelling at the television set. I'm thinking, because we do crazy things. I'm yelling at his players. They can't hear me. And I'm yelling at the officials. You know, I go crazy during March Madness. And I thought, man, no peace, no wisdom here. <laughs> and he's asking me to pray for him. I need it. I, I got so frustrated, folks, that at halftime, I couldn't watch it anymore. I just went down to Golfsmith and started trying out some new golf clubs. And I'd check the score every 10 minutes just to see who was ahead. I pull for him so much, and I want him to succeed so much because I know the man that he is. It was very, it's just very, very difficult. And so I, I started thinking, and I want you to go through through this just for a moment. What would it be like if you knew the score of every game before you watched it? I thought, what, what if I knew that every game Tony played, what if I knew that he won it and it was just a matter of going through the motions for me? Now you'd say, well, that would take all the fun out of it. Yeah, on one hand it was, but on the other hand, how much stress would I have in my life if I knew at the end of the game he was going to win? Even when we fell behind like 10 or 20 points, I'd be 
Easy street, right? But I'd have what the Bible calls hupomone, which is the word, Greek word for endurance. I'd have a great staying power because I'd know no matter what happens right now, in the end, he's going to win, right? So when obnoxious fans on the other side kind of yell things, what would I be doing? As a Christian, I'd be saying, go ahead, but I'll have the last life, you punk, and we'll win. I'd do it, I'd do it in grace and mercy, but I, of course, I would still do it. What if I could take you to a video vault somewhere and it would be the end of your life? And you learned that you were not going to die until you were 99. Now, if you're 98, that's not good news. But for most of us, for most of us, I can tell you would find out you're not going to have heart disease. You're not going to have cancer. Your kids are going to grow up. They're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And everything's going to, if you were to go to the end of your life and know that, then when you did face troubles in your life, it would make it no less real. But wouldn't you endure it a little differently? Because you wouldn't have the stress and worry that you're going to die. Because you know, that doesn't happen until you're 99. You see, this is why John writes the book of Revelation. It's why God gives him this very special dream or vision to remind him that even though he's thinking about things like Titus coming in and destroying the temple and and murdering over 1,100,000 Jews and actually taking their bodies and throw them over the wall of Jerusalem to desecrate them and their temple, he's asking the question, Is there never going to be any justice on planet earth? Is there never going to be someone that comes and makes everything right? There's got to be that same question in your life. And suddenly he gets this vision into heaven and he sees the the colors of the people of God emanating from the throne in chapter four so so that he would know that, that God holds his people close to his heart even when it looks like that there's chaos, that he's able to bring beauty and pattern and design to the chaos of the world. And then all of a sudden now we move to Revelation chapter five and it's amazing because out of this throne, suddenly you see this arm come out. I mean, at first it's just colors. John doesn't use anthropomorphic language to describe God. He doesn't give him blue eyes and white hair. He just says, imagine beautiful colors that emulate, emanate from the throne coming as a representation or communication that God loves his people. And then suddenly it's like, as he's watching the vision, it shifts and changes. And suddenly there's an arm <laughs> that comes out of the throne and it's holding a scroll. Now, the fact that it's the right arm, and I read this out of verse one, by, by the way, in chapter five, the fact that it's the right hand of God, this is, the, the, this is a sign for power and authority. By my right hand, I decree, I write this and I say, let it be written and let it be done. But he's also in his hand holding a scroll, which means nothing to you and me. It's actually the Greek word biblion. Now, the scroll that he describes has seven seals. As soon as he says that, he lets the cat out of the bag and we know what it is. A Roman will was signed with seven seals. And so this is a will, a last will and testament of someone. You open it up and there's information and then it's sealed. And you open up a little bit more and there's more information and then it's sealed. And every time you open it, there's more information of who gets what and how it is to be used. That's another distinction between the Roman wills and the kind of will we have today. Today, if somebody leaves you money, you get to decide what you're going to do with it. You said, they're dead and gone. They're not around. I'll do with what I want. It's my money. In Roman days, when you left a will, it had two aspects to it. It was the who gets what, but it was also the how it was to be used. You didn't have the ultimate freedom to do what you wanted to with it. It was the Romans' way of immortalizing themselves and being able to rule still from the grave. And so when this arm comes out of the throne, John would have known what this is. 
This is God's last will and testament. You say, wait a minute. God doesn't die to leave his inheritance to anybody. Remember, we're in apocalyptic literature. We're looking for the sign, the symbol, the metaphor. Of course, God doesn't die. But he still says, I hold in my hand everything I own, which is everything. The earth is the Lord. It's and everything in it. And he's saying by holding this scroll up that here's the title deed to the universe and I'm going to give it to someone. Now we know because we've read the book of Revelation that Jesus Christ is able to take the scroll. You know what he's taking? He's taking the deed to the universe. Not only what, but how it is to be used for the purposes of God on planet earth. Now humor me just a moment here. For me, I think, okay, what happened at that point? You know, I will everything in the universe to my son, Jesus. You know what? Does the Holy Spirit look to Abraham and say, dude, what are we going to get him for Christmas now? I mean, the dude has everything. He's just got the universe. What do we do now? And so John sees the scroll, the title deed of the universe. The Bible tells us in the next verse, there is a strong angel, a strong angel. It's probably Gabriel because Gabriel's name means strength or strong. And Gabriel usually makes the announcement uh, as he does in the day of the uh, day of the Lord, the second coming. And so Gabriel stands beside or a strong angel stands beside the throne and says, who is able to open the scroll? In other words, who is worthy to come and inherit the earth and the universe and determine how the earth is going to be used for the purposes of God? Who's able to do that? Now remember, whoever walks up and takes the throne is not only taking the deed to the universe, the title to the universe, but is also being the one who will determine how planet earth and all the universe is used for the purposes and glory of God. And so the next verse in verse three says that nobody, no one in heaven, no one on earth, no one under the earth is able to open it. No angel, no matter how popular or powerful, no man. And I always think of this. We immortalize people on planet earth, presidents, prime ministers, people who are wealthy. But remember, they have all one thing in common. They're dead now. They're dead. And the Bible says nobody in heaven, nobody on earth, no matter how popular, no matter how powerful, they go the way of everybody else. And no one under the earth, no demonic influence or force is able to take the scroll and open it and reveal the things that are going to happen between the time Jesus establishes kingdom until the time he returns. And so what does John do? Verse four, he starts to weep. He weeps because no one was worthy. John is thinking this. Really, this is it? God has the deed to the universe in his hand and nobody's worthy to come and make things right. My people are suffering, they're dying, they're being persecuted. No one can come and say, okay, I take the universe and I will use it for the purposes of God. And one day justice is gonna roll like a river. Really, nobody, neither man nor angel, no one moves in to take the universe, overthrow the intruder or the interloper, the prince of the power of the air, nobody. Udes, it says in the Greek, not one. This is Today with Jeff Vines. You're listening to The Lamb and the Scroll. Let's continue with Pastor Jeff. Now, time out just a second. Stay with me because we're going to build this up. Focus here. You can't miss the setup so that the truth, when it comes out, it'll be inspiring. You will be inspired. And so here's what happens. Jesus, the Bible, the Apostle Paul, all the writers believed that there are two entities on planet earth, diametrically opposed to each other. Jesus taught it, 
The apostle Paul believed it. It's all through the Bible. First John five nineteen is the verse that illustrates it most. For we know we are children of God, but the whole world is under the control of the evil one. There is a cosmocrator, a world ruler. And in the same way you know that there's somebody who influences the world for good, there is also an entity that influences the world for evil. And quite frankly, the reason a lot of us are defeated is because we take for granted that we're the only ones in operation. We fail to realize that there's somebody opposing us, opposing you. So that of course when you try to do the right thing, sometimes it's really hard. Of course when you try to sit and pray and concentrate and read the scripture, that your mind goes a thousand directions. Of course every time you try to serve God, do the right thing, live a selfless life. It just seems like there's some force, some opposition that overwhelms you. And Jesus would say, of course there is. There's a second entity. In fact, Jesus clearly taught there are governments who operate out of an unholy power behind the throne. It's not just the evil prime minister or president. There's somebody else. There's another entity guiding and directing. There are world leaders influenced by, directed by, given power by the one who opposes the work of God. There are philosophies and worldviews and policies and policy makers that come right out of, and I know no, this is going to sound crazy, especially for those of you who think, man, these Christians are wacky. When we something, say something like this, you're going to think, man, I knew they were wacky. But according to scripture, according to scripture, there are philosophies and politicians and policy and policy makers. They're simply the pawns on a chessboard of a larger, more dangerous entity. So when you see a Hitler or Lenin or Stalin or genocide and death camps and torture, You say, how could that happen? We are civilized people. We are far from that kind of barbaric decision and living. And yet we know from history that some of the most dastardly deeds, some of the most evil barbaric acts occur not among the uneducated poor, but among the educated, technically advanced affluent. So we undermine our own mind because here's what we do. We say in our secular humanism, man is basically good. And then two weeks later we say, I can't believe man can do this to each other. It can't be both. There's a supernatural force. Ravi Zacharias is always asked when he brings this part of his message, somebody will always stand and say, Brother Ravi, you're carrying this too far. All we need is more brotherhood. And he says, I agree, but why do I see more hoods than brothers? (laughs) There's a supernatural force in the world. I know it. Jesus knew it and still knows it. The Bible says it, and it is one of the world's most empirically verifiable truths. Just look around. You say, well, Jeff, I don't believe in the devil or evil. Yes, you do. You do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. There are things that happen in your world all the time for which you have no other explanation that there is an evil entity. Genocide, really? The Holocaust, really? Sending little babies into gas ovens by the thousands and hundreds of thousands, really? Rape and torture and the sex trade, really? When I was in Rwanda, when I first went, they forced me to read Machete Season which is a book about the 10 people, the 10 leaders who orchestrated the genocide, where a period over 90 days, they killed over a million people with machetes. They interviewed, a New York journalist interviewed the 10 men who orchestrated the genocide. And I read the book because I'd hoped to find the answer because they kept asking, why did you do it? Why did you do it? They never gave an answer. The only thing they kept repeating is this. It was like, as I was wielding the machete, that someone else was using my body. They said, when I got the first taste of blood, it's like there was this unholy thirst for more and more blood that now that I look at it, I can't believe I did what I did. 
In the same way that you and I know that heaven is real because of that sense of beyond in us, we know, we also know that hell and there's an evil entity that's real by the fact that we look around the world and we see the corruption and the death and the devastation and the genocide and the slavery. Hear me when I say, man is real, sin is real, Satan is real, evil is real, death is real, but thank God salvation is real. And that's why in Revelation 5, it goes on in verse 5, Then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and it's seven seals. These are strong messianic terms. The lion, the power, and the lion or the root of David. He's a descendant of a king. So he has power and authority. How many of you know Kate Perry? You know Katy Perry. I know you do. She says, you held me down, but I got up already brushing off the dust. You hear my voice. You hear the sound like thunder going to shake the ground. You held me down, but I got up. Get ready because I had enough. I see it all. I see it now. I got the eye of the tiger, a fighter dancing through the fire because I'm a champion and you're going to hear me roar louder than a lion because I'm a champion. You're going to hear me roar. I never knew that song till about, I don't know, five months ago when a bunch of ladies started meeting on Tuesday over here in the fireside room to do Zumba. (laughs) And what they don't realize is that every song they sing, every music they play, and everything they say flows right up into my office. I hear everything you do. And there's this song by Katy Perry. And finally, after like four months, I thought, maybe I should look up the words of this song. And she's talking about us. She's a lion now. And she's going to roar and we're going to hear it. The Christ of scripture is a roaring lion, folks. But we've made him benign. We've made him soft and submissive and weak. And it's because we have ulterior motives. We're hoping that the Christ of the Bible is passive. So that I will not have to stand before him on the day of accountability. And give an account for the manner in which I've used my freedom. He says he's not only the lion, he's the root of David. He has power. He has authority. These are strong messianic terms, folks. Yes, it's like he says, okay, John, you may see a lamb on the throne, but don't be deceived. This lamb took a whip and cleared the temple. This lamb stopped the winds and the waves with one word command. This lamb cast out the demons with the sound of his voice. This ain't your grandma's Jesus. He left the soft throne of glory and entered into a fallen Tragic, hard, tainted world and lived a sinless and holy life. And you don't do that unless you're tough. He faced the very entity of evil in the desert and came out unfazed. He went a few rounds with death itself and delivered the knockout punch that sent death packing so that all who would call on his name would live for eternity. If you have to be tough to climb Mount Everest, if you have to be rugged to defeat the Sahara, and if you have to be tough and rugged to defeat the ocean, how tough do you have to be and rugged to defeat death? It's like the vision is this is the lamb. Yeah, but he's a sheep with an attitude and it's a bad idea to mess with this lamb. (laughs) So in verse six of chapter five, then I saw the lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God out into all the earth. Notice what happens. John is looking at the throne. He sees God, and again, those colors emanating from the throne to represent how close God holds his own people to his heart. And then as John is looking, it's like it shifts and changes, and suddenly he sees the lamb. Now, why does he do it like that? So that John will know that the lamb, that God and Christ are both deity, are one and the same. He has power, 
And he has the universe because he made the universe even though the universe was given to him. This is one of the most powerful scriptures in Revelation for the deity of Christ. And it says this lamb appearing as if it looked it were slain. He emerges from the throne. It's interchangeable, God and Christ. And this lamb has seven horns. The horns represent authority. Seven represents perfect. So he has perfect and all authority. Only God has that. But Jesus has that authority. He has seven eyes. That means he has seven eyes. That's a funny looking lamb. But it's not seven eyes. It's the idea of perfect vision. He sees everything. There's omniscience. Only the ancient of days is described like that. Wait a minute. Jesus is the ancient of days. And he's perfect in knowledge, power, and wisdom. There are seven spirits. The Holy Spirit is a perfect, complete spirit. There is complete unity and diversity and community within the Trinity. And then in verse 7 it says, He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. This is beautiful. The only people that can walk into the presence of the king unannounced are the prince and his family. If you go into the presence of the king in the Old Testament unannounced, you'll be killed. But Jesus walks right up because he's the prince and he takes the scroll. And as soon as he does, there is a new song in heaven and they start saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. In other words, Christ, since you own all things, you are worthy to open and tell us how God is going to use planet earth to achieve his purposes from the time Jesus established his kingdom till the time he returns with a special emphasis and intensity near the end. You are the one. Because you were slain, you're worthy because you did what God asked all of us to do. You gave up your life for a purpose bigger than yourself. You obeyed God even though it cost you your life. And with your blood, you purchased God for God. With your blood, you purchase for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we're halfway through The Lamb and the Scroll. Please join us next time to hear the rest of this message. In the meantime, you can hear more from Pastor Jeff if you head to the Vision website. That's vision.org.au and search for Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.